today's topic on heavy strategy, where the questions are sometimes more interesting than the answers, is the top mistakes enterprise technologists make when dealing with vendors. Greg and I have strong opinions on this, sometimes aligned, sometimes not aligned. To get this show started, Greg, why don't you list your top mistake number one? Vendors aren't your friend. People say, oh, but my reseller or my vendor, I mean, mate, do we separate resellers in this discussion? Are, are vendors uh, no, resellers or I think resellers? We, that's an excellent question. And then there's always the question about consultants, which would be me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think, I, I think perhaps we can profitably discuss different classes of vendors. But at the moment, let's just say not resellers, okay. not consultants, but hardware, software, service vendors. The obvious one here is that resellers aren't your friend. Although more often what I hear is people say resellers are my friend. That is, they have somebody at a reseller who's a trusted person who is giving them advice that is got some nominal independence and those people often ignore the fact that that reseller might only sell two out of 20 brands in a category so let's just pretend that it's not resellers we're talking about here it's vendors and probably the biggest one i hear is that vendors are a trusted party vendors are a trusted advisor and we have to treat them like that because that's the only way we could work together i have to be nice to them like they're an employee I think that is an absolute misunderstanding of the relationship. I believe it should be adversarial. It should be, if if, it, if you're going to have a relationship with them, the answer there is treat them mean to keep them keen. Treat them horribly, hold money back, because the vendors are self-interested. They look at customers like they're pigs, because at the end of the day, they still eat bacon. Even if you love your pig, at the end of the day, the bacon, the pig has to be killed to get bacon. And so customers are just a means to extracting profits so that you can make numbers and move on to the next one. And you better understand that you are a pig about to become bacon every time you engage with a vendor. Well, I love that example because my next door neighbors do keep pigs and they treat them like pets and then they eat them and they make excellent bacon, I will tell you. But I couldn't disagree more strongly. I think it's absolutely important to understand the vendor's agenda. And I do think I agree with a top level notion that don't assume that vendors are necessarily your friends. Don't assume they have your best interests at heart, even if they say they do. Mm. They do have the bottom line. That said, in any relation I've ever engaged in, even in you know, close to, as close to outright warfare as you can get, you never get ahead by treating people mean and and disrespectfully. Yeah, I didn't know. Not any, disrespectfully, in, but you don't have to be nice to the vendor on the other side. You don't have to be impolite, but you don't have to be nice. If they say, well, tell me everything about your company, you don't need to tell them everything about your company. That, but I see, I, I would disagree with the, the notion of nice then. I mean, the way, the way you characterize it, that's just simply set boundaries, set appropriate boundaries, withhold information that, that benefits you because it benefits you. And I'll give you a concrete example. 99.9% .9 of the time when somebody's sitting down with a telecommunications provider, they inadvertently give the telecommunications provider all the information they need to craft a contract that is superficially a good one and long-term a bad one. Here's an example. Let's say you know for an absolute fact you're planning to migrate from MPLS, which is very expensive, to SD-WAN, which can be decreasingly expensive over time. If you sit down and immediately tell your telecommunications provider that, guess what they're going to do? They're going to lower the rates on the MPLS, so you're going to look good because you came back with a dramatic 50% decrease in, in the service that you're not going to be using anyway. They'll make it up on the back end on, on SD-WAN. In my world, you don't have to be nasty about it and say, well, why do you need to know that? All you have to do is say, I'm not giving you that information exactly. because that yeah. information is privileged. I need you to 
behave, mm. give me yeah, your I, I, best pricing. Yeah, my point is, is that I've been in vendor meetings where people just roll over like little puppies. And yes, do, like right? my, yes, my dog will roll on her back and show her stomach to to people and creatures she shouldn't. That's yes. exactly right. And I've seen this so often because there's some sort of uh, mental mindset that the vendor people have skills or talents or some, and so they're the dominant player in the room. And in fact, the vendor is the supplicant here. You should be absolutely seeing the vendor as begging for your cash. They're begging for your business. Like a dog going, please give me the thing. That is how you should look at it, right? You are in control of the situation. And yet, without doubt, the most common way I see people do it. And this is, it's super interesting, right? When you go into a retail shop, you are the person in charge. If you're going in to get a, a shirt or buy some clothing, you are in control of that situation. And yet somehow in IT enterprise buying, people turn into blithering idiots, give away all the information, have no control over the direction that the conversation's going, have no ownership of the process, and they let the whole thing be driven by a party that does not have your interest in mind. As usual, Greg, by sort of pushing on this point, I think we're uncovering areas where we agree more than we disagree. Mm. But also, I, I want to get to the bottom of that a little bit so folks listening can really do an honest self-assessment in the privacy of their own heads. Because uh, I don't think that IT technologists are, you know, enterprise technologists are stupid or submissive by nature. No. But I think the reason that more than other folks they're inclined to do this is because in IT, we are bred to be responsive. The idea is mm. we are fundamentally support. Our job is to make the rest of the co company more productive. Our stance in interacting with anyone is how can I help you? To boil it all the way down is turn off the how can I help you before you walk into the first meeting with a vendor because your job is not to help the vendor. Yeah, no, Their job is to help you. Your job is to get it for the best possible price in the best possible terms. That is not letting the vendor dictate to you this is what else this is the solution that's available this is the version you should take this is how much you should pay for it you should be sitting there saying i don't want that i don't want that i don't want that and i want the price to be 50 percent less and i want to sort of keep pushing on this mm. for just a second before we move to the next one because i think one reason this is so much easier said than done is because it's not easy to turn off a stance that you've been carrying for your professional life and may be inherent to who you are as a person but what i would suggest is if you can't turn it off, flip it. Hmm. Walk into that meeting thinking about all the users that whose job it is, whose jobs you are trying to make better and easier. Keep them front and center and, and weigh everything the vendor says in terms of, but how does this help my users? Hmm. And if the answer is, you're, well, we're going to overcharge your users, you're immediately going to feel that that righteous indignation that says, no, I, Mr. Vendor, I believe the solution you're proposing to me results in a, a net loss to my ability to help my my users. So no, that's not acceptable. Mm. And that actually allows you to interact with them with the right frame of mind, which is you're not there to please them. You are there to defend your users, protect your users, and get the best possible deal for your users. And that, I think, triggers all the right emotional responses and gets your head in the right space as you walk into that meeting. Well, it's not just the meeting. It's also in tech calls, right? Oh, yes. If the absolutely. vendor, if the, the person on the other side of a tech support call brushes you off, you have a reason to complain and to escalate. You know, don't be disrespectful. Don't be rude. You are paying an extraordinary amount, typically 30% of the purchase price per annum. In effect, if you have a maintenance contract for any more than three years, you've actually purchased the product for a second time for branded vendor maintenance. You have every reason to expect premium technical support 
It was probably promised to you in the sales pitch anyway, but when they don't deliver it, you should not sit there and say, oh, it's so bad for you, Mr. Engineer, that you're the only one on call. You should be complaining immediately to the manager as to why is there not five engineers in this track? Why is there a lack of engineers to take my call? You need to back that up with documentation, right? You are locked in. You're contractually obliged to deal with the vendor at that point. Like I was talking to someone the other day, they have a tech support call. They're dealing with an engineer and there's a button on the help desk that says, requeue my call to another engineer. And every time he presses it, it comes back to the same engineer. There's only one engineer in the company that can do this particular technology. It's a big company, well-known brand, everything, but they're only allocating one engineer to this particular technology set on the tag. That's not acceptable. You should be immediately flagging that up with the sales team, using that as a lever to get a discount. That brings me to my second point. You can always ask for a discount. Absolutely, if and you always should. But mm. I, I want to circle back to this before we get to the next couple points, because it's interesting as you were talking, Greg, I was imagining, sort of imagining that scenario in two different roles. One is if the IT person is on the role on the call with tech support thinking as an IT person, they're just going to take it. They're going to take the abuse because they identify with the engineer deep down inside want to please the engineer. But if they go into that tech support call with the mindset of I am defending my customers, man, all of a sudden there's this this sense of righteous indignation that says, I'm sorry, if your company has allocated only you to this job, they are not treating me and my users with appropriate respect, and I'm going to escalate, which brings me to my final, hopefully, point on this one, Hmm. which is, as you were talking, I started thinking, you know, it's kind of like the abused spouse scenario, Hmm. where the abused spouse will take being beaten up themselves, and I'm staying gender neutral here, because as we know, abuse Hmm. is not gendered, Uh, not specifically gendered, that is, but they may take the abuse themselves. But when all of a sudden it's the kids that are involved, that's when many abused spouses find the resources to stand up and defend themselves and their children because they can do on behalf of someone else what they can't do on behalf of themselves. And I know that's an outrageous example. And please, anyone Mm. that's had to deal with abuse, please understand I'm not trivializing it. No. But I'm bringing it to the fore because I really hope people think about that and say, Is there a little teeny 1% of that in my approach to vendors? Vendors don't treat you like a puppy. Just because you roll over like a puppy and give them everything that they ask for and lick their hands and give them googly eyes, the vendor has an entire ecosystem in that company to take that puppy-like behavior and extract maximum profits from it at the detriment of your employer. You are ultimately representing the company that employs you to the best of your ability by achieving the best price, the best service, the best functionality. And if you give it all away for nothing, you're actually not doing your job properly. Just to stress this, when you think of your employer, don't think of that abstract entity or even think of the senior managers in your company who you might actually justifiably hate. Mm. Uh, think of the uh, the poor users, you know, mm. the, the working schmoes just like you who now are going to find their job jobs harder for no good reason other than the vendor's whims. And mm. That's where you can really summon up the right mindset. Don't identify with senior management. Don't necessarily beyond mm. beyond a certain point. Try to identify as much as possible with the users who need the best possible deal from the vendor. So the mistake I hear is that vendors aren't your friend. The second part about this is it should be in a quasi-adversarial. Yes, being nice to people will get you further. Yes, being respectful for people will get you. A key thing too is that, so if you ask a vendor to give you a design, they're going to design it to fit their business model, not yours. And what I mean by business model is a very loose definition. 
they might decide to sell you a solution which maximizes the revenue opportunity, or they might decide to sell you something which is the latest kit and they're actually getting kickbacks. So you need to understand that salespeople are not just revenued on a percentage of sales. They might be revenued on selling a product that's the latest thing that the company's just released and they get double commissions because that product is the way forward for the company. So for example, right now, most salespeople in enterprise IT are getting double commissions on subscription licenses because the companies have told shareholders that they want subscription licensing and the shareholders are saying, we want you to look like a cloud company. And then, and so you're out there looking at salespeople making double revenues, double commission packages if they sell the subscription license. So they say to you, they might say, we don't have permanent licenses anymore. They do have permanent licenses that don't want to sell them. They're also partially correct by a li- uh, an admission saying, our company doesn't want to sell permanent licenses anymore. I'm just using that as an example. There's lots of others. Another one that I've seen is where vendors promote a solution which has a scalable growth strategy. What that means is you buy more technology than you need. That's like saying, hi, Jonah, I know you're 19 years age and you can't wait to get down to, so what we're going to sell you is a minibus <laughs> with 12 seats, right? And then because, we're going to put- Because mag- the net result of all that cruising yeah. is going to be 12 kids. So you better get ahead of that. But to make it look really hip and cool, we're going to put mag wheels and a flash paint job. So now you've just bought a 12-seater with mag wheels and a pointless paint job because in the next 20 years, you're going to grow into it. Uh, Greg, you you have just explained one of the great mysteries of life to me, which is why the hippies during the era of free love used to be in love with uh, VW buses. <laughs> it's perfect. It's all of the above. It's all of the above. Yeah. It's hip. It's cool. It's 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 happening, and it'll also accommodate the twelve kids you end up having. <laughs> That's a key thing. Understand that they're going to sell you more than you need, and your job is to calibrate that to what you need. And, you know, there's lots of examples, and then, well, no, I'm not going to go into any of those today the sort of egregious overselling that I've seen, you know, that goes with your distrusted advisor. A lot of people look to vendors as trusted advisors, which is okay. You can use them as an advisory source. Yes, they know their products well, or at least in theory they do. They quite often don't. You should not assume that they know their products well. The people involved are just people. That's another, that's probably my next point is people are people. You don't, the vendor people are not consistently good and they're not consistently bad either, but there's no reason why you can't have the wrong person assigned to your account. Maybe someone who is actually not competent. Well, Greg, I want you to hold that thought, and I promise I will give you the chance to air it. But I want to come back to the whole notion of, uh, you know, differentiate between their business model and your needs. Mm. I, I think in the because there's a there are a couple nuances here. In the first case you talked about, I want to buy it as a not as a subscription service. It is entirely possible that the vendor will say either no we don't do that or we can do that but it's going to be a special purpose accommodation Mm. um and in both cases i think you should walk be prepared to walk away in that scenario if you if not being able to not buying on a subscription model is a critical selection criterion Mm. which is going to be one of my points you should know that the vendor should know that and it it's not worth having further conversations because they're selling apples and you're buying eggs full stop Mm. and if even if you can talk them into doing a special case just for you it's a terrible idea because it increases their overhead which means you're already and automatically a bad customer from their perspective Mm. which means you're going to get lower service it also means that you're doing something contrary to all their established processes. So the chances of something going wrong are much higher. Hmm. So in that scenario, I would say walk away. But you started this by saying there's always, you can always ask for a discount. 
I'm a vendor. Here I am on a podcast, and I will tell you that we build the areas where we are willing to give discounts into our proposals. Uh, if you're astute, you can pick them up immediately. Most of our astute clients go, hey, would you give me this discount? And we go, why? Absolutely. That's why it's there. Mm -hmm. Ask me for discount for something, and this has happened many times. Someone says, well, I'd like exactly what you're, what you're doing, but I'd like that at you know two-thirds or half or a quarter of the cost. My answer is a big smile, and nope, we're not going to be doing business. That's I have not built the margin in to give to you as a discount, so you may think you're being clever by asking for it, but you're not going to get it, mm -hmm. and so no. the answer, So I'm perfectly content as a vendor either saying, yes, that was built into the proposal, or no, that one wasn't. And usually it's fairly obvious where the discounts can be that you can ask for. And I would say with hardware vendors, a really big one is ask for free consulting services, free tech support from their people because they know you need it. They've built it into the relationship, whether you ask for it or not. And getting it spelled out is actually great. And oh, by the way, just from the standpoint of that hardware or software vendor, that's actually on somebody else's budget. There's someone within the organization who's responsible for consulting and he's get, he or she is getting comped and mm. measured with KPIs totally differently. So it's almost a free giveaway from the salesperson. Yeah, I'm, I actually believe that if you have vendor consulting services to implement a product, the product's probably faulty. If the product is so complicated and so hard to use and so hard to deploy that you need a specialist team to come and install it for you, for enterprise IT. Now, enterprise IT is by and large a commodity game. The days of it being a specialist art form is passing away, right? Those days are uh, I disagree gone. with you on every level there, Greg. I, yeah. I can give chapter and verse examples of solutions that, that require, if nothing else, intensive knowledge of the solution, which nobody in enterprise IT has time to gather anymore. Yeah. So you shouldn't have to have that vendor come in, listen to you. I mean, hell, Everything's getting more complicated. I just got an HVAC system installed. Like, how simple can it be? You heat things up and blow the hot air. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, there's 57 different things you can tweak to get it to, to set it so that the hot air goes in the right rooms at the right time. IT Enterprise IT is just as complex. You know, that should be coming for free from the provider. Managing mm. that complexity should be coming for free. It doesn't mean it's a faulty product. It just means that there is yeah, additional no. effort involved and they should cover that cost. Okay. So I generally take the view that enterprise IT is increasingly like a car. And if I had to, ha to, to buy and own a car, if I had to have a, somebody come and sit with me for three months to teach me how to drive the car, that is not a viable business. I don't have to But I think months. you're completely I think you're completely wrong because it is very much like buying a car except mm. one day it's like buying a car and you've never driven a car before. Then it's like buying a bicycle and you've never ridden a bicycle. Now it's if a, I agree that it used to be that way because when cars no, first it is came very out much people now. did not <laughs> understand if you've never bought a car before and you have no and you're not a driver and you know nothing about cars, yes, you're coming at it from a position of weakness. But in enterprise IT you are the expert. That's your job. I, I, I disagree completely. Okay. The rate of change is so fast that today they're selling no. you a car, tomorrow they're selling you a plane. You and will You will never have to... convince me that there's a rate of change in enterprise IT. We are 12 years into SD-WAN and the adoption rate is still 10%. Uh, that depends whose who's statistics you look at. And ours is about 75%. Um, and more I can believe to the that point... 75% of your customer base is. But across uh, the no, this is this is no. from the research that we've done beyond our customers. Primary research that we've done with hundreds of respondents. So no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna agree with you on your data, and I'm not gonna agree with that's you on what, your main uh, point, so which that's is what, why we have this show. So when I look at the numerical analysis, 
researchers and their posting, they're saying global adoption is still less than 10%. They are, and I disagree with them because one of the reasons I'm in business is that the other folks who do re do research don't understand how to do it accurately. Fair so enough. you know, my background so, is as a scientist. But, I mean, background is, is a one-year ROI every single time. Yes, absolutely. But people it is. should have picked up on it a decade ago and have deployed it by now. And that's a different now. Third... That's a different discussion. But, yeah, but um, since we're coming on, you've had you've had your shot at two main points, Greg. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give my main beef when it comes to enterprise technologists and vendors, I would say not having both clear selection criteria and a clear process for defining those selection criteria. And here's what I mean by that. You should be, by the time you're procuring anything, you should have a very clear idea what strategy it is in service of, what, what architecture it is part of, what role it's playing in that architecture and that strategy and what the selection criteria are as a result of the strategy and the architecture. Hmm. So you should, for example, know right up front whether you want a cloud-based service or an on-premise service, and you should know why you want a cloud-based service and an on-premise service, mm -hmm. which tells you the degree to which that's negotiable. You should say you should know right up front whether your primary goal is to re reduce the number of vendors you're doing business with or that's irrelevant whether or not the provider is an approved vendor is whether that's something you can give on or not give on. Mm -hmm. You should know what the other tools are going to be, not just today, but other tools in the future are, and whether or not integrating with those other tools actually matters, which means integrating with those tools should or should not be a selection criterion and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. What I typically see in vendor negotiations is the technologist walks in and vendor says, so what do you want? And the technologist says, well, what do you got? And even RFPs that are supposedly written as the output of a clear strategy, a clear architecture, tend to be more of the form, what do you got? Yeah. And that's a huge mistake. It's yes. an enormous waste of their time, which if you're asked to go and buy some, you need to push back on your management. If there isn't a strategy, say, what is the strategy hmm. that is driving this purchase? And if there isn't one, you may have to create it validate it with your boss and then say, I can't buy without a strategy. So, so I need to make sure that our strategy looks like this mm -hmm. and then develop your selection criteria to align with the strategy. The real problem is all of us get irrationally attached to vendors and products. Mm. One of you may hate Microsoft. One of you may love Microsoft, which reminds me, I need to do some Microsoft bashing. <laughs> Hold that thought, Greg. <laughs> Uh, you may part of that may be rational because you've done an analysis of the technology and you just can't convince people to see it the way you see it part of it may be irrational because the salesperson or the support engineers are just so nice mm. whatever it is recognize that we all have that bias and the way to weed that out is to have concrete selection criteria before a vendor or a product enters the picture get buy-in on two things one is these are the right selection criteria we're not missing anything mm -hmm. and everything here matters and the second thing is the relative weight of these selection criteria right. and you have this conversation you have this discussion ahead of time before you even begin to reach out to vendors when you get the responses back you can throw them into a weighted scorecard the winning vendors will pop up you don't have to have those arguments and those debates about this is a selection criterion and it should have been there. Mm. It's like, no, we all signed off on that last week. So that's really, really key. So that's my that's my um, um, soapbox rant. Back over yeah. to you, Greg. <laughs> I think there's lots of things in here. I think my final one, expect a refund. 
one of the things that doesn't happen in enterprise IT is that you don't get refunds. So if you choose to buy a solution or a product, and if the product doesn't meet your standards, it's accepted in enterprise IT that you can't get a refund, short of some massive failure when, which normally requires lawyers to be involved. One of the things that I've done quite successfully in engagements is to sit down and say, okay, so now that's your solution. Now I want to discuss with you what the refund strategy is for failure. That absolutely changes the game in terms of how the vendor and the reseller works with you because they go like, there's nothing more eye-opening than watching them go, but we don't give refunds. And you go, so you mean your product is guaranteed not to work? And that's literally what they just said. So you're guaranteeing you have no interest in making the solution work. If they're not willing to give you a refund, then they have no skin in the game of making it work other than to say like, sure. For example, very common with Cisco and HPE to give you a 90-day money-back guarantee. 90 days is how long it takes for something. And it's not from how long till you receive it. It's from when they ship it to the reseller. So by the time it gets to you, you've got 60 days to decide if you want to return that product. And then it'll be out of warranty. 90 days. Imagine if you bought a car and you'd got it with a 60-day warranty. Then that is effectively the way that enterprise IT is sold. So I've always found it really educational to sit down in the, if you're making a negotiation and say, that's great, Mr. So we've got this wonderful deal on the table. Now let's talk about refunds. How do I get my money back if this product does not meet the promises that you've made? And that will flush out a whole lot of very interesting stuff because all of a sudden the vendor knows that they're responsible because you're now saying, I want to see a piece of paper, pass it through, write it up and say, if this product does not meet these factors, you are going to pay me a refund. And then all of a sudden the vendor people are going to start to get scared because they're going to go like, what do we promise them? Did we promise them something that we can actually deliver? Is this product actually reliable enough to meet these promises? Now you may not ever get them to sign off on some, but what you've established here is even if it's just a verbal agreement about refunds, you will suddenly start to see gaps appearing in the solution about overpromise. That is how I've always addressed the issue of salespeople who promise the world and deliver nothing. Because salespeople have no skin in the game. Once the purchase order's on site, they're out of there. And you've got a you you're left with that with the turd sandwich, as they say. I will I'll phrase this a little more diplomatically. I agree with your main point, which mm-hmm. is the vendor should have financial skin in the game and could not disagree more strongly that the idea of refunds and credits is the way to get there. And let me give you my example. I've negotiated telecom contracts for 30 years. Every single telecom technologist will tell me, ooh, I get credits if a site goes down for an outage. And I go, yeah, really? How much is that credit? Well, Mm -hmm. it's the cost of that site for the time of the outage, which works out to about a thousand bucks. I'm like, oh, really? So you just signed the cost of you claiming for it. You, you just signed off on a, a $50 million contract and you're happy because the vendor agreed to pay you a thousand bucks if your site goes down? No. What I recommend in the case of long, large multi-year contracts, which is what service offerings currently are today, mm. what I recommend is instead have what we call an out clause and have that out clause for lots and lots and lots and lots of reasons. And what that means is if we decide at any point, we may have signed a three-year contract with you, But if we decide at any point that you are failing to meet your obligations substantially, and Mm. here's our definition of substantially, and we have chapter and verse on that at Nemertes, we get out and you're done. 
Mm. And we pay you nothing else. And you may have already booked that revenue. You yep. may have already told your shareholders about that revenue. You may have already factored that into your margins and it's going away the next month. That, so you, the way you negotiate a refund happens in different ways. You're looking for a termination of contract. For some contracts, you may actually want to say, well, we're, we can give you three months notice on any unreasonable failure. And of course, you issue a three month notice right to terminate. And then you've got they've got three months to either make good, do better, or you actually walk away. So there's lots of ways to get refunds. So let's leave that maybe as a future discussion. But my point is discussing refunds for failure right up front changes the nature of your relationship with your vendor and puts them on notice that you are a player. So I think you're absolutely correct on a couple of things, one of which is, you know, leave that nature of refunds for future discussion. And I'd urge you, if you've been listening to this, please let us know what you'd like us to, to talk about. If you'd like more on this topic in particular, please let us know because we love to talk about it. Well, you can always send us your follow-up. Tell us what's got, what your thoughts are. Pat, give us a topic that you'd like to hear us discuss at packetpushers.net slash FU, FU for follow-up. Uh-huh. Sure it is. <laughs> on the Packet Pushers Network, we have a range of other podcasts that you may be interested in. If you head on over to packetpushers.net, because of network, you'll be able to find those podcasts and the many other channels or just search for Packet Pushers in your favorite podcatcher. This has been Heavy Strategy. If you've really, if you've enjoyed today's discussion, please tell your friends. We'd love to grow this a bit more and that would be something that would be very helpful.